Today the reading will be Psalm 79. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of reproach to our neighbours, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and destroyed his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, O God, our Saviour, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake, why should the nations say, Where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. By the strength of your arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbours seven times the reproach they have hurled at you, O Lord. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. It is so, so very good to see you all. A special welcome to those who are visiting for the first time or whom I haven't seen yet. My name is Andres, as um, Andres has been repeatedly saying. Um, and it's, it's a special joy to, to welcome you. Uh, also, it, it seems to me it's going to be a pretty hot day. They say it's probably the hottest day this summer, so... We need extra grace to hang in there. I even invited my wife to, to consider a night walk because it's going to be 23, 24 degrees through the, throughout the night. So, so we'll see how that goes. Anyways, let's, let's come back to the sermon. Let's come back to Psalm 79. Please do keep your Bibles or devices open for that. Now, let me start with a question um, that I, I normally, normally do. And the question is how easy it is to be Christian. What do you think? How easy it is to be Christian? Um, I think if you have been Christian for some time, you will say, well, actually, it is very hard. Why? Because to be Christian means to be in constant conflict. What kind of conflict? In conflict with the values of this world with our own old nature and with Satan and his ongoing schemes against God's people. And I have named this, this conflict, this uh, conflict, um, uh, a spiritual triathlon. We face the three ways of, of, of pressures, a spiritual triathlon. We as Christians very well know where we have been pulled out from. Ephesians 2, for instance, before we knew Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were children of God's wrath. We acted upon all the desires of our flesh or the old nature because we followed Satan. That's what Paul in Ephesians 2 says. 
but God. He made us spiritual life through the gospel. He set us apart for himself. And now we know what sort of life God is expecting from us, right? Purity in thought and word, blamelessness in our motivations and actions, that we don't run after riches, status, or appraisal from this world here and now, and that we daily battle satanic attacks from, uh, in the form of quarrels, anger, dissension, revenge, and so on. Which makes the spiritual triathlon a painful reality indeed. You know, our battles seldom are, are quite hum humiliating. We often feel on our own. And we say, how long, O oh Lord? How long is it going to carry on? And I think the same could be said about the Church of Christ, corporately, right? The Church is often humiliated by way of various scandals involving her leaders. Because of the values of the Church, the Church is blamed for the hatred against humanity and against the flourishing of society. Well, currently in Latvia, an outspoken Christian, a conservative Christian, will be slandered on the social media. Why? For what? For supporting violence against women. Just one of the examples. Why? Because Christians oppose the ratification of the so-called Istanbul Convention. Why do they oppose it? Well, because it is actually a backdoor for enacting gender politics regarding same-sex marriage, and so on. Well, the Church of Christ is suffering in different ways and to various extent all around the world even today. In some places, Christians are persecuted for their faith, their houses are burned down, the families torn apart, and lives are lost. And so the church corporately, even today, cries out, how long? How long, O oh Lord? Why does evil seem to be flourishing while your faithful ones are suffering? Now, if you can relate to the spiritual triathlon um, that we are in individually and corporately, you will then be able to relate to Psalm 79. Because Psalm 79 is a cry for help in a situation where evil seemed to, to triumph, to flourish. But no matter how desperate the situation is, the cry of God's people is filled with hope and trust. Just, just look at the Psalm at verse 9. The faithful ones still hope in God of our salvation, who will help for the sake of his glorious name. So here is the tension, even, even the paradox of our psalm before we dive in. On the one hand, we see how big state crushes a, a little nation, and that in itself isn't anything you know, unique. It has been always the case, and it is still the case 
today. Well, the focus is on the people who experience evil. They are named, verse 2, the servants of God. Well, the people responsible for the evil are named, verse 6, as those who do not know you and do not call upon your name. Here's the tension. God's people are doing poorly, but those who oppose them are doing well. And on the other hand, we see how God's people do not fall into despair. Verse 11, they confess God, God's great power, but the tension is somewhere else. Verse 5, why is God slow to, to demonstrate his power if he is powerful? Why does God not judge all the evildoers? Where is justice? Why does God not save his people? Where is grace? How long, O Lord? Well, let's dive in our psalm and, and see firstly how, how Psalm 79 sheds light on the dark and evil in our world and how it can discourage even, even those who trust in God. Here's our problem in, in verses 1 to 4. The nations have broken into God's inheritance. Well, the first four verses really describe the historical context of the psalm. Uh, nations, nations is the Babylonian Empire and the King Nebuchadnezzar specifically, who carried uh, Judah in, in, into exile in 587 BC. And it is really an eyewitness account, but from the perspective of those who remain in the land, rather, rather from, uh, for, the, for those who, who uh, get carried away. And they kind of, uh, you know, look at the Babylonian army sort of departing. And the picture we get is, is, is even more than a tragedy. The land and the city are completely devastated. Th think of the atrocities uh, that the Russian army has committed um, on the Ukrainian soil, some of the villages and cities there. And many, many pictures speak a thousand words. But the real tragedy here, the real tragedy in the eyes of the psalmist is the desecration of the temple. Take a look at verse 1, how the author emphasizes that the nations have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. Yes, the infrastructure is gone. People have lost homes. But the real horror is the destruction of the dwelling place of God. That's where the people of God went to meet with God. What's going to happen now? How are we going to relate to God? Were just some of the, their questions. The misery of the land, the city, the temple grows into the misery of the people of God. Glad of us to the the humiliation of God's people. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. The flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and they were no one who would bury them. 
Now, what a good insight into the theology of body. A human dignity requires that a body is treated with respect and care. Yes, even when it's no longer alive. Well, therefore, proper burial, it fulfills a couple of important functions. It firstly demonstrates that people are unanimous about the value of the deceased individual. And secondly, it gives the, the grieving families and friends a proper closure, a necessary closure. But in our psalm, exactly the opposite is happening. Have you seen? The bodies of God's faithful servants are desecrated. They're given for food to the birds and the beasts. Their blood poured out like water. There is no one to bury them. It is a picture of utter humiliation. Now think of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Jesus said, for in those days there will be such tribulation as, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created at, until now and never will be. Another horrific picture of utter humiliation. And Jesus warned it will be a particularly bad for pregnant women and nursing mothers. And we know what the Romans did to them. Utter humiliation for the people of God. Now, according to the statistics, there is um, extreme persecution around, in, around 11 countries today around the world. It involves physical and verbal abuse, imprisonment, kidnappings, bribes, deportations, destructions of property, fines, torture, and murder. And I'm sure that our brothers and sisters in those countries, they, they, they face the same tension as the people of God in this psalm. Lord, we have been serving you faithfully for many years. These people, however, do not know you. They do not obey you. How is it fair? Where are you, God? Your power is great, but why don't you use it against the enemies of your people? Why are they get, uh, getting away with all their evil deeds? And so the tension. But what about, what about us here? What about us here in the Western church? How are we uh, experiencing the tension of this psalm. Now, I think the church in the Western world is increasingly under pressure regarding the freedom of conscience, regarding the freedom of speech. The church's teaching regarding God's creation order and human identity is opposed. I know the Bible-believing and Bible-teaching churches in the UK that start to lose, they will probably start to lose their buildings because of that in the nearest future. The corrupt house of bishops in the Anglican church might refuse to appoint faithful ministers in the Church of England. It's happening in Europe. 
Verse 5, how long? How long, O Lord? It was the cry of the faithful remnant in Jerusalem, and it's the cry of the people of God today. But on the sa- in the same time, it's, it, it wasn't that God's people didn't play any part in their suffering. Did you notice that kind of paradox of verse 5? God of verse 5, will you be angry forever? Will, you, will, will your jealousy burn like fire? So the corporate punishment in the form of the Babylonian exile was well-deserved. It makes for a healthy and humble reflection on the church's part too, doesn't it? Lord, your church has corrupted herself. Your leaders have abused their power and treated your people poorly. Your church has become complicit in all the sins of the world, illicit sex, adultery, abortion, greed, and so on. There is a place for the confession of our corporate sins. Do you start to feel the tension? What might be our appeal for God to intervene today when you think about this? What would that actually look like for God to intervene? What would the provision of justice and salvation look like? Well, we start to think about that more from verse 5 to 12. And here's the prayer. Judge the nations and save your people. So we see that the faithful remnant pray that God would judge the Babylonians and establish justice from, from verse 5 to 7 and also from verse 10. And after all these were Babylonians who broke into God's inheritance. They devoured Jacob. They destroyed the dwelling place of God and poured out the blood of the faithful. And upon that, all the neighbors around them, verse 4, they mocked them. And now they pray, verse 12, that God would return sevenfold into the lap of their neighbors. Now, what, what, sort, of, what sort of prayer it is? I, th- I think I touched on this kind of thing and this truth very briefly in one of my, my previous talks uh, on the other psalm. And to be, to be fair, it's not, it's not a prayer, you know, God, let me loose and make me your, you know, marvelous avenger, your, your Captain America or your Wonder Woman to establish justice. It's, it's not that kind of a prayer. Why is it not an appeal for the personal vendetta? Class at verse 12, I think we have a clue there in verse 12. Before you read verse 12, cover with your finger the last phrase. Just, just put your finger on, on the end of the verse 12. Return sevenfold into the lap of your neighbors, is the plea. The taunts with which they have taunted, and we would end this sentence, your servants, right? But that's not how psalmist ends it. Lift up your finger which with they, they have ten, uh, taunted, sorry, you, O oh Lord. Do you see 
as the Babylonians smoked and derided Judah, they ultimately disgraced the name of God. And, and so now the people of God, they ask him to act for his own name's sake. Because God has said in places like Isaiah 42, for, for instance, my glory I will not give to another. Isaiah confirms that God will indeed judge the Babylonians and it will be terrible. The question is, should we make this our prayer? I mean, it's not wrong to passionately feel the injustice of this world. It's not wrong to desire for peace. It is good. But we have to keep in mind which side of the cross we are living on. Because you see, Jesus changes everything. Je Jesus changes how we think and pray and act. You see, Jesus took upon himself all the judgment and all the wrath of God that his enemies deserved. But who were these enemies that deserved God's wrath and judgment? Do you remember Ephesians 2, where we started? We were his enemies. You and I were his enemies. We were children of God's wrath. So what a relief that God's perfect justice In his perfect justice, he's judging all sin on the cross of Christ. So that from the moment, that moment on, God would be able to extend his grace and forgiveness to all. What a relief. Well, take, take the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts 7. He raises the bar for us, right? In Acts 7, do you, do you remember what's his, his prayer as he's dying for his faith in Jesus? Hear it. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Did he cry the, the words of judgment? Now listen. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he has said this, he fell asleep. Now he understood that Jesus changes everything. And so did the, the senior Christian lady I used to know. Her name is Lydia. You may have heard me use this illustration a number of times, but you know, we've always at new people here on Sunday. So bear with me. I mean, in one of the previous churches I worked for, I led a prayer group for these very senior, senior Christians being born you know, after World War One, And one of those ladies, she used to be in the resistance movement when the communists stayed after the World War Two, And she suffered, su suffered a lot as a teenage girl. She was deported to um, uh, Gulag, you know, the concentration camp. Uh, but she survived it. And she's well even today. I think celebrating her birthday just, just last month. And considering everything she has been through, I have been always 
you know, admiring her prayers in those prayer meetings. Never did I hear her ask for fire from heaven to burn all these communists. Always filled with compassion and grace, even when praying for her enemies. You know, Jesus himself in, in John 16 is very clear that Satan has already received his death sentence. God will establish perfect justice, and so does Paul in his letter, second letter to Thessalonians. I would actually want you to turn to, to, to Thessalonians chapter 1, because it's worth reading for ourselves, the, the verses 5 to 9. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, because it's such a key, key text that shapes our understanding prayers and actions this side of the cross. 2 Thessalonians 1, starting from verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you, who are afflicted as well as to us, but when, and now listen and see when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when God's perfect justice will be achieved, when Jesus comes back. The second coming of Jesus will bring perfect justice. All those who do not know uh, God, not obey his, his gospel, will receive just punishment. He will do it. Emphasis, he will do it. I mean, our, you know, hot-headed social media generation should really pay attention. Maybe a few Christians on social media should pay attention to it. Christians should not join into shouting today, no justice, no peace. We do not have to call fire from heaven to consume Putin or you know, everyone else for that matter who disagrees with us on Twitter, or, or shall we say X, you know, what on earth is X? You know, the bird is dead, uh, there's no Twitter anymore. Is it easy, is it easy to observe evil and realize there is no, you know, there, there is not much we can do about it? Is it easy to be Christian nowadays? And I think we should confess that it's not. It's really not easy to be Christian. Like the people of the psalm, we too feel the tension and pressure to reconcile the, you know, the existence of evil around us with that of the almighty and loving God who is great in power. But know that justice is coming. God is not slow to act. God's judgment is on its way. 
But thank God his salvation and forgiveness are available to all even today. So prayer for salvation is, is where our psalm ends from verses 8 to 10. Glance at verse 8. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake. Again, these people were not into justifying their sins. They confess their guilt because they know that, verse 9, their Savior God will act for his own name's sake. All they ask God, verse 8, is that he would remember their former sins no more. And verse 9, that God would cover their sins, but how? How is that possible if there is no temple, if there is no daily sacrifice anymore? How could their sins be forgiven? How could they be right with God? Uh, the Orthodox Jews nowadays would say that the animal sacrifices, the daily sacrifice, they are substituted by our good deeds. But the New Testament disagrees. How can we ever hope to be right with God and in right relationships with God based on what we do? How? Are we in such high regard of ourselves? So Paul in, in, in places like Titus 3 says following, Titus 3 verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not us, it's him. Oh, to be fair, I think that both the faithful remnant in this psalm and Christians today confess the same way of salvation. By God's grace, through faith. It is only by the unmerited favor of God that a person can be forgiven and made right with God. How else would they be so confident in calling themselves, look at the last verse, verse 13, we your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. On what basis? Only on the basis of God's unmerited favor. And this same grace is the only way to not get completely crushed by the injustice in our world. This grace is the only hope for those who are suffering from injustice, even today around the world. 
So if God in his kindness showed us, us here, such grace, why would he grant, um, why would he not grant grace to those uh, who do not yet know him or obey him? Why not? I, I think, my friends, it really changes the way we think about people and processes around us, don't you think? Grace in Christ changes everything. Be it, you know, be it a regular nonsense talking person on social media or uh, you know, around us, we are convicted. God's grace is extended to them too. The other day I was shopping for groceries uh, and, and spotted these, these really three, you know, crazy raccoon-looking teenagers. I couldn't even see their eyes, you know, and they were behaving terribly. They were, they were talking nonsense. They were kind of talking behind someone's back, you know, kind of bad things. And kind of my first reaction was kind of, you know, I was, I was, get, I was getting kind of, you know, my blood pressure was slightly getting up. But then, but then I remembered myself at their age. Now, when I was their age, my mom said, if you continue like that, you will know, have no friends at all. You know, and then I understood. I remembered how God kindly extended his grace to me. It changed the way I viewed them instantly. It changed the way I thought about them. It changed the way I prayed for them. They need the grace of our Lord Jesus too. And what about the most notorious criminals? You know, the gospel of God's grace needs to shine there too. Well, that's why such ministries as the prison ministries are so valuable. Yes, people there have received the sentence. You know, they are suffering the just punishment, hopefully, for what they have done. But we as Christians know how much more horrible it will be to receive eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. And I'm really happy to hear that. And we should be praying for someone like Taylor looking into the, the, the prison ministries for women and reaching out with the gospel of grace to these women in prison. It changes what we mean when we call out today, how long, O oh Lord, doesn't it? What's our attitude? What's our feelings? You know, as weak as we often are in our spiritual triathlon against the world, the flesh, and the devil, friends, we do not despair. We do not become bitter or angry unfairly. In Jesus, we have been delivered from the condemnation of the devil and the power of sin. In Jesus, we have been granted the Holy Spirit to battle daily the, the satanic attacks and the desires of our old nature. Jesus will finish his purifying work in us. Trust him. Take courage in it. And as, fr as frustrated as we often are about the injustice in this world and, and the mockery of God's people, we call out with hope and trust in God, who is not slow to act. Jesus is coming back as promised. And he's coming as the Lord and the judge. Meanwhile, God is 
giving time and is commanding for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ our Savior. This command is to all. And so we should be compassionate and passionate to proclaim this gospel confidently as we say and we finish with, with words of verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Let's pray. Indeed, our Heavenly Father, we confess that we so painfully sometimes experience the, uh, our spiritual triathlon, uh, our battles with the values of this world, with our own uh, old nature dragging us down, and with the satanic attacks is, is often so hard, so frustrating, and so far that we, even today, inwardly call to you, how long, O oh Lord? How long is it going to continue? And Father, we know how we as your people, as your church, are doing around the world. We face external pressures and persecutions, and we are facing internal sin. Please, please, Father, have mercy on us as we corporately call out to you, how long, O oh Lord? And above all, Father, please, please, Help us to trust and look to Jesus as people this side of the cross who has carried our punishment and our sins in his body on a tree so that we would know that you will deal with both our sin completely and the persecution and suffering of your people when Jesus comes back. Father, please help us be patient. Help us be compassionate and passionate about getting this gospel of God's grace and forgiveness to those who trust and obey the gospel. Please, please, Father, make us and shape us to be the church that reaches out even, even to those who hate you, who despise you. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.